Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. It is May... Sixth. Sixth. Yeah, the day after Cinco de Mayo. And the two days after, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, silly. Um, man, I had a long weekend this weekend. I went up to uh, East Durham. They, they, East Durham, New York. They call it, uh, for lack of a, you know, like a, like a friendly term, the Irish Alps, because it's mountainous. Right. And it's, it's an area where... There are a lot of, during the summer, a lot of Irish functions. Uh, I stayed at McGrath's Hotel. There's a Blackthorn, Gavin's, the Shamrock. There's, you know, so it's it's an Irish-themed community. And they do a lot of, they do a lot of um, good work for Irish immigrants and all of that stuff. So I was up there for uh, a, the New York State Board Convention for the uh, Ancient Order of Hibernians. And um, so yesterday, I was supposed to be flying home. I was supposed to be in Orlando at 8 o'clock. I didn't hit Orlando until 11.30 or something like that because oh, of, of the weather that we've had. So, yeah. so I'm, and, then, and then I got woken up and my daughter and her boyfriend and... Uh, her pastor from uh, New Bedford is here. So they're all like, oh, we want to go out on the boat. So I'm, I'm a little bit burnt out. And so not only did so, you not get any sleep, but you were out in the hot sun all day. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and you know something that was, it was, you know, the salt water. It, it feels great until you wash it off. And then it's like, yeah. boom, Play-Doh legs. <laughs> yeah. So you're out on the ocean then? Uh, no, actually, we were just on the river. Well, it was a good day for it until about what five o'clock. Uh, no, it was still nice then. It was. It was. We didn't go until later on because of, you know, a cast of uh, follies when you try to when you try to do something and and get going. I said we got to go because I have to be back to be on the air, and they had to be back to do something. But we didn't get out until three o'clock. Oh wow! It started raining at my house about five. Yeah, and we, and we stayed. We stayed out till about five thirty. I, I got here at six fifteen ish. You know, parked the boat and um, everything's good to go. But you know, we do have a guest on the line. I, I'll, I'll just keep going on and on about me. I mean, that's that's a show about <laughs> me. <I guess. laughs> we have a guest on the show, Dr. Danny Carice, who was on two or three weeks ago, and we didn't get to get through all of the questions that every answer you gave us, another question popped up. So welcome yeah. back. Welcome back and, uh, for round two. And I want to tell you that when I looked at the numbers the following week, we had, we had a lot of people listening live, but we ultimately had that much more listening on demand, like on and after I post it on the, hey. on the Facebook page. And, um, there were a lot of people from many different countries listening on and after the show as well. So you, you, your message definitely got out to the world. Oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. No, thank you. The audience should thank you. Send yes. her a dollar, everyone. 
<laughs> GoFundMe. Um, when we were talking last, we didn't really get a chance to get into some of the things that, that I'm real curious about. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the safe injection sites. And right. I was reading some stuff today, and they were talking about a needle exchange program. I'm assuming that's the same thing, or is it not? Now, let me let me ask. Let me cut you. Let me cut you off before you before you uh, answer that question. Is this something that you are in favor of, or you are against? I am in favor of. Okay, great. Answer your question. <laughs> um, so there is a um, there's a very big difference between the two. Um, uh, they are often combined, but but as you as you look at them for services, they're different. So a needle exchange program, um, oftentimes it's a mobile program, and people go out into the neighborhoods where people are injecting mm-hmm. drugs, um, and they exchange their syringes so that they don't reuse syringes, and that so they don't share them with their friends. Um, this has a couple of functions. One, it helps keep people healthy. Um, it helps stop the spread of HIV and, and other sexually transmitted or you know um, diseases that get exchanged also through any body fluid through through an, um, a needle. Um, so they take dirty needles and they give them clean needles. Um, the other thing that this does for folks is that every time they do this, folks know that they are there to help. That if if somebody says, you know, I'm ready to quit, or somebody says, what kind of different services are there out there for me? Um, you know, if I wanted, to, or if I wanted to know how to clean a needle, you know, how how would I do that? So it gives people a resource of somebody to bounce their concerns, ideas, or desires for treatment off of, and it also helps society by decreasing the spread of HIV/AIDS and, and other uh, diseases that can be transmitted through sharing needles. The difference between that and a safe injection site. Um, safe injection sites may have a needle exchange also, or they may even have needles, uh, new needles available, but they're also a place that's staffed by people. It's a physical location staffed by people so that somebody can take the drugs that they bought on the street or elsewhere. Um, the safe injection sites don't sell drugs, um, but these are folks that are going to use drugs. They're going to use them anyway. They're not interested at that time in treatment, and they can go into a safe injection site and inject, and if there's any um, an overdose, they can be immediately revived. Or if there's, um, you know, a need for help of any kind, there's someone there or people there that can help them. So, you know, you can't um, give good treatment to somebody who's who's not alive, you know, and this keeps people alive right. while they're not right. quite ready for more. Right, and you, um, the city that I grew up in and that I ultimately ended up using in uh, was New Bedford, Massachusetts. And oh. they had, why do you say it like that? Well, be, because they have a very significant <laughs> problem there. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. uh, you know, isn't it, isn't it scary when, uh, you know, the people, people, when I, when I've spoken to them say, you know, my using brought me to New Bedford. Well, Mine started there, so I had nowhere else to go but down. But anyway, we had needle, not not really a monitored needle exchange. There was a there was like a I don't want to use the word renegade, but there was a renegade group of recovering addicts who made sure that when they were talking about this. Project Hope or HIV, the HIV AIDS uh, awareness group that was in the in the city, they made sure that they they got 
the addicts who were still out there actively using um, new needles, and and that makes so much sense. I mean, I, because they're not they're not on the street for one thing. I mean, you see on the news, you see some of these places like say San Francisco, who does not have a needle exchange program. They're using needles and throwing them out on the street when they're no good anymore. You know, at mm-hmm. least at least with an exchange. Someone is taking that dirty, used, nasty needle from you. They're giving yeah. you another one, but they're getting that that bogus one off the street. And yeah. you know that can't only but help the community. And and I would venture to say, I would have to say that it that it does stop or retard the um, diseases that are that are transmitted through. Uh, well, it's not just you know like. HIV and things like that. I know a lot of people are coming up with heart valve infections yes. that are killing them yeah. because of dirty needles. And mm-hmm. I was very surprised, honestly, to see that South Florida is looking at implementing a needle exchange program. Mm-hmm. You know, with the way they fought Narcan, I'm I'm very happy to see things are turning around. So I think, right. you know, all in all, it's a good thing, and and hopefully people will realize that and not protest about it. You know, if they're if they're not aware of the good things that it's going to do, protest about it because people complain about everything and anything, whether it's good for them or not. But well, I mean, you're saving you honestly, you're saving money with Medicaid, you're saving it with Medicare. But anyway, exactly right. Another thing that I wanted to get into was medication assisted therapy. Um, You know, what are your feelings about things like Suboxone or uh, Methadone? you know, for someone who wants to stop using opioids? Well, um, I think that there's a lot of different ways to look at those as well, you know. I mean, at a very core level, um, if this were cancer, you wouldn't, or let's say this was diabetes, you wouldn't expect to go to your doctor and the doctor would only tell you about those medications that they thought were um, legitimately appropriate. So you wouldn't want a doctor, for example, who says, I don't think it's ever appropriate for people to inject medication at home, so I'm not going to give you insulin. We're going to just give you metformin and see how that pill works. You, you wouldn't want that. We do that all the time in our field. We right. say, you know, people say, you know, well, methadone is just another drug that you're, you're substituting, so um, we're not going to offer that for you, or we're not even going to tell you about it. People would be outraged if, if a doctor did that with cancer or diabetes or asthma. They said they had some theoretical opposition to one of the treatments, or they didn't provide that treatment, so therefore they wouldn't even tell you about it. You have to tell people about all of the options. Um, people that are not ready to, to um, be totally absent, that don't want to be, or that cannot be, need to have these other options available. And so... Um, methadone has been around since 1972. It is a, it's a weak to modest opiate agonist. That means it binds with the receptors. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's been shown in many different studies to do a number of things, including there's one study I saw where they looked at the HIV seroconversion rates of folks that went on to a methadone people and matched samples that did not go on to a methadone uh, clinic. And the seroconversion to HIV w- went from something like 17 to 21% with the folks on methadone and something like 21 to 72% over five years for the folks that did not go on methadone. So, um, and the other thing is that I'm doing a um, study with Nora Volkov, the head of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, 
And what she believes and what this study is looking at is not just does methadone, and I'll, I'll go on to the other medications in a moment, but not just does methadone, buprenorphine, Vivitrol, not only do they, do they, are they medications that stop the, the desire for the drug or that allow the person to function well, she thinks that they go on and actually heal the brain. And it would be an amazing difference, I think, in our culture of the stigma that we'd associate with these medications if people saw them not as substitutes, but as substitutes while the brain heals. And she's doing a um, very extensive study with PET scans um, of the brain and looking at changes in the brain over time. Now, methadone is kind of the the original medication, and that's got a lot of um, understandable restrictions around it, around you know, who can uh, dose it, who can provide it. You have to be an approved, um, you know, clinic to provide methadone. People have to show up pretty much every day to get the methadone. Um, you can't just go to a pharmacy and get it filled, and you can't get 30 days supply typically. Um, buprenorphine products, when they came out, and that would be Subutex and Suboxone, um, they were approved in um, 2002 by the FDA, and the difference there was that you could get these medications in a doctor's office um, and that you can get them in, in quantities at a time. You know, over time, you can start to get a, you know, a two-week prescription, a 30-day prescription. Well, one of the things about Suboxone that I think is really brilliant is that it is buprenorphine, which is the, um, the medication that, that is the effective component of the medication. It's a pure agonist. Um, but sub- Subutex, which is a pure agonist buprenorphine, is, is abusable. If you wanted to melt it and inject it or, mm-hmm. or whatnot, you can do that. Suboxone adds the additional ingredient of naloxone. Naloxone is the drug that blocks receptors. And in Suboxone, when you take it, it's generally a film that you put uh, on the side of the cheek. Um, when you take that, it's, it's the naloxone is completely inert. You don't, you don't have any experience with that at all. But if you try and melt it or stir it up in water and cook it and inject it, the naloxone kicks in and you will not be able to get the, the high that you're looking for with that drug. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. One of the things I find really fascinating is that doctors need an eight-hour training course to be able to prescribe Suboxone. They need to get a special waiver, and even then, they can only prescribe it to a small number of patients, something like 25 the first year, 125 the second year, and they just increase that, that number. So it's amazing to me that doctors need this extra training, a waiver, and they have a limit to the number of patients they can prescribe this medication to treat opioid addiction to, but nobody ever said any doctor needed additional education, additional trainings, or additional waivers or limits of patients to prescribe the opioids to. Thank you very much. Even dentists can prescribe it. Yeah, I I have been consistently amazed by all of this. And, you know, when Suboxone first got talked about. I mean, you know, it came out in 2002, but I think it became something that a lot of people started looking at, you know, right around 2008, 2010. Um, there was there was a lot of, of stigma associated with it, and there were a lot of practitioners that, that got licensed to prescribe it, and to me, they looked like pill mills, too. You know, it was but, the I mean, same they deal. Did put the, they did put the... Um, well, I mean, cash only... Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. No, the same type of environment, right. but just less. Well, yeah. You know, lots of people now, hanging around. Now, let, let me ask you something. Um, when I 
first started getting clean, when I, when I was making believe I was getting clean, I was on a methadone clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in 1986, 7-ish. And then all of a sudden it changed to methadose, which is a probably a generic uh, or a different, you know, I mean a different maker. And the level that I took at, at methadone was, say, 30. The one at methadose was like 85. So, I mean, it still, it still gave me the same effect, but it, must, it mustn't be the same uh, chemical because they needed, they needed more of it in order to get me to the level of uh, whatever it was that they were looking to gain. I mean, I was just jerking the system, but... Well, that, it's interesting you say that because that's not, I, mean, I haven't heard much about methadose. And I think it was, you know, kind of a, a short, short-lived kind of push. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I don't know about the dosing difference with that. It's very interesting. And I, well, you know what they, you know what they did. I mean, you you know how how we play games, and you you know you take it, and they say come back at twelve o'clock, and you run around the block, and you're sweating like a pig, and then they take your vitals, and they're like, oh, you need more. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. we haven't got you at the I right dose it. yet. It's, and then uh, yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing is that even when people are kind of trying to game the system, and I'm not convinced that all people getting on these medications are, especially um, the Suboxone now, even when you're doing that, you're still at the very least, you're in touch with people who are providing care. Right. They, they're doing their best. You know, you're, you're less likely to be using different drugs. That, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, stops using everything, but... Um, it does at least provide kind of a baseline for you, uh, for many folks anyway, not to have to go out and to do different things to get the money to get all the drugs they've been buying every day. Um, you know, the thing about the thing about that is, is you're 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 100 percent right. I um, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a real quick second, but the methadose really wasn't around for a long time and and I don't necessarily know if maybe it wasn't as successful as the regular methadone was um right. and, and 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 I think that ultimately you said you said you know you hopefully something you know so hopefully this information is coming in and what I want to say was either either whether I didn't want the seed or not, it was planted at that time. There was a seed. It didn't. It didn't do what it was supposed to do because I ultimately went back out there. But they were giving me while I was at the window. They were, I had to go to counseling. I had to do all of these, you know, group things and and this and that. They were giving me the knowledge. I was just turning away from it. I was just yup yup yupping it, you know. And if anybody's out there. And you have that experience and would like to call 866-472-5792 and ask the doctor a question or at least share your experience with methadone, methadose, we'll take your call when Ellen and I return on the Miracles in Recovery radio show. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back uh, with Dr. Carice for the second segment of the Miracles in in Recovery show. And I have a lot of questions, you know, still continuing around medication-assisted therapy, specifically with Suboxone. Um, We were talking during the break. My daughter has been taking it now for three years. I credit it completely with saving her life. Um, She was... She was... In and out, mostly in opioid addiction for about 15 years. She did try Suboxone off and on many, many, many years. But the last time, it actually started working. Now, I've heard a lot of things, uh, good and bad, about Suboxone. I know she quit her 12-step recovery program because she was told that she was still an addict. She was still getting high. People are brutal. They really are. I mean, they they literally drummed her out of the program. But one of the things I'm curious about, you know, she she is very good. She goes once a month to her doctor. Uh, I think initially she had to have some kind of counseling. He doesn't require that anymore. But can you stay on it for the rest of your life? Uh, So is that the question? Do you stay on it the rest of your life? 
Yes, that is my question. I, you know, I, yeah. I hear all kinds of things about binding to bones. You know, right. I, I don't think it. I don't think it's that much. I don't think it gets in that deep, like methadone, though, does it? I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you the stuff that I've yeah, heard, and it's kind of scary. Kind of at her. Maybe we better let her answer the answer. <laughs> no, that's okay. There, it's an interesting topic for sure. And um, you know, the you it depends who the person is, where they're at in their life, how their body's responding. Some people are able to go off it and, or at least get on a much lower dose. Um, some folks stay on it for an indefinite period of time. And, you know, one of the things I want to look at is the stigma of that. So nobody would question a diabetic who stays on insulin for the rest of their life or a person who's profoundly depressed who is very well treated by antidepressants who stays on them to keep treating their depression for the rest of their life. I don't see this as very different, um, and I don't know that we know enough genetically and long-term to know that whether or not heroin and other opiate addictions could cause problems in the brain that don't require it. That is, that the, the brain becomes so attenuated to it that this is now something that's really returning them to a baseline normal as opposed to at all getting them high. So I think it's the stigma that the stigma is one of the big things that make people want to get off of it. Um, and I've seen a lot of people go off it and then relapse to to illicit opiate use. So, I mean, I don't think that we should look at it differently than we look at insulin for diabetes or heart medications for heart problems. Um, with regard to her being in the 12-step programs and having them say she's still an addict or she's getting high, um, I think that the important thing to look at there is meetings are a lot like people. They all have different personalities, and you just have to go to one until you hit until you hit a personality that kind of clicks with you. I know some AA meetings that are very much like that, uh, or even NA meetings, and I know other meetings where it's very accepted. I know meetings where you can't talk about if you're on antidepressants, and I know other meetings where people talk about being on Suboxone and how it's worked for them all the time, and, and they get no judgment. So really looking around to find a place that would that accepts that. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is, you know. Um, oh, I know. And, again, and I you know, know, the community way. here is relatively small. So, you know, yeah. when one person knows her sponsor fired her, everybody in the whole community knew. And yeah, it was you know, my, my, my deal with that is, is you know, you, 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 that, that just... That just, you know, make it's like I feel like I sit on a pen when I hear that her sponsor fired her. She didn't yeah. hire her to begin with. She didn't well, I, you know, but that's, that's the no, lingo. But, but see, that's the thing. They 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 get holier than thou. Oh, yeah. And that's where, you know, I have a problem. And I usually, you know, verbalize that problem having 30 years clean. I verbalize the uh, the disingenuous uh, actions of people. And, you know, it, it doesn't do the, the whole situation any better than them just saying, you're fired. What do you mean I'm fired? I didn't hire you. Well, yeah, she just, she completely quit the program. But, yeah. you know, thankfully, she's going on three years now and doing beautifully. Uh, but she is terrified to even think about going off it. And frankly, I want to be a grandmother. No, and that's good. I mean, if that. And if I don't that, know, you know if you did, can stay on it and be pregnant. What, what did Dr. Um, Well, the, 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 the issue the with, with pregnancy, I, you can be on it and be pregnant, um, and then you're, the baby does have to wean off of it. 
Um, but honestly, if it was safer than going off it during pregnancy or to get pregnant um, and staying off it during that time, and it increases the likelihood that the cravings are going to greatly intensify, then I would you know, try and manage while you're on it. The other thing we've seen quite a bit is that uh, folks that are on you know, an, a, an average dose at, at, at 8, 10, 12, you know, 18 milligram um, dose on an ongoing way that decide they want to try without it, um, a significant number of them do pretty well until they get down to 2 to 4 milligrams. Yeah, I've heard that. Whether it's kind of psychological or whether it's the medication, I mean, they're on what we would call a negligible dose, but who knows how the brain responds to having it totally gone. And again, it's it's all about the stigma of it. I mean, there are certain considerations about pregnancy and about, you know, does it affect the bones long-term and whatnot, but you have those same considerations with other medications for other medical disorders as well. You are quite right. And thank goodness, you know, it is it saved her life. It literally saved her life. Yes. Right. And why change it? it? Yes. You know what I mean? If that if it's something that she can safely take for the rest of her life, Dr. Boyette said that. Ah, okay. uh, I remember when we were talking to him and he said if a mother has to take a little pill to keep her so that she can take care, take of, her care babies, of her children and, then Yeah. Then so be it. who am I to say any different? Well, there are a yeah. lot of people who think they, yeah, well, but, but they to don't. The, they to don't thine know. Own self be true. Yeah, she, I, I mean, to me, like it was nothing yeah. short of a miracle. It really. Yeah. It really. I mean, she she was one of the bad ones, and no, and now she's got a career. She's got a fiance. She's Aww. she's strong. You know, she's wonderful. she's you know standing on her truth. So I, I have nothing but good things to say about it. I, I heard they're going to start. The doctors are going to make patients bring them. I mean, hers are the films. They're going to make them bring them in periodically so they can count them to make sure they're not right. selling them and abusing them. That's a new that's thing fair. that's coming out. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who sell them and, I yep. mean, you know, buy them off the street. Yeah, no, I've I mean, seen all fair. of that. But, I mean, that, you know, that happens with everything. You you, you came in an untrustworthy individual. Right. There's no guarantee that that's going to change. So it's fair a doctor when a doctor puts his license on the line to assist somebody, then that they have the right to be able to do that. Now, what about um, other substances like Vivitrol or the other ones like that? No, we tried that too. <laughs> Didn't work too well. <laughs> yeah. And to say, you know what? It is the same thing um, as it is with any other disorder. There are, you know, hundreds of antidepressants and different versions and different combinations of them. And some work well with some people and some work well with lots of people. And some people don't have anything that works well until they try a dozen different things. So, True statement. You know, what might work for one doesn't work for another. Um, now, Trexan, interestingly enough, it was approved at first in um, 1984 in pill form. It is a non-addictive, it's an opioid agonist, meaning it binds to the receptors and blocks the euphoric and sedative, sedative effects kind of, of, of opioids, um, including heroin and fentanyl and morphine and whatnot. So it's different than buprenorphine uh, products like Suboxone and Subutex and Methadone, which are agonists, and they kind of activate those receptors. So mm -hmm. this is a pure blocker, meaning it blocks it without uh, any psychogenic effect. Um, 
it was first kind of studied um, quite a bit in Russia with alcohol, with, with very heavy alcohol drinkers. I don't want to say alcoholic uh, guys, but it was, it was studied first there with uh, these guys that were functioning. They were what we would call in our country probably functioning alcoholics, and in Russia they were probably just, you know, guys that drank very heavy and functioned pretty well. And quite a number of them went on uh, the Vivitrol for a reason I've actually heard um, over and over again, which surprised me the first time, which is, uh, kind of, uh, you know, well, if there's anything I can take that'll make me feel, uh, you know, like two or three drinks is good, it could save me a lot of money, I'll try it, you know? <laughs> and um, lo and behold, these guys went from drinking two, three, six packs, you know, at the docks after work to having two or three beers and saying, I just don't really feel like I need any more, you know? So it really cuts down the craving huh. um, for alcohol. So later on, the, the injectable extended release form, which is what we know as Vivitrol today, was approved in about 2010 for opioid dependence. So unlike methadone or buprenorphine, it can be prescribed by any healthcare provider who's licensed to prescribe any medication. You don't need any special, um, you know, waivers or whatnot like that or, or treatment. So like a nurse, a nurse practitioner or something like that is, is okay yeah. to, okay. Yes, as well, yeah. And it, it blocks the receptors. And what that does for a lot of folks, um, it does two things. It helps to um, really greatly decrease craving. People report significantly decreased cravings for both alcohol and opioids um, when they're on the naltrexone. And then it also makes it so the person knows if they do use um, the naltrexone, if they do use opioids, I'm sorry, the naltrexone will block the effects. But um, let me let me yeah, ask you a question early. with that. Let me stop. Let me stop yeah. you real quick right there, um, sure. because I have heard that before, and and you know about naltrexone and now Vivitrol that it that it blocks the receptors. You're still injecting or ingesting the opioid based um, substance. It blocks it, but it's still there, right? So you can still overdose without getting a feeling. If you're shooting to, if you're trying to shoot over the block, right. Yeah, if you're trying Make, to shoot over yeah. the block, it's possible that you could overdose. It would, and the reason for that is it would take an enormous amount of opioids to override that blockade. And by the time it overrides the blockade, you've got quite a bit, a heavy load of opioids mm-hmm. in your system. And so you can overdose. Not no, from the naltrexone, but, but from trying to override the blockade. Right. That's exactly just from, how they just from polluted, saturating yeah. yourself. The problem my daughter had was she started on it too soon and, and didn't get off of the opioid, and it made her deathly sick. Ended oh, up yeah. having to call an ambulance. 14 days. Oh, it's, it's almost like an abuse type. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was, like it was a really bad situation. Do they still use that? Anabuse, yes. Decrease, do they? Yes. Yeah, actually, I, that's the next thing I was going to bring up because it kind of it reminds me um, of a similarity in terms of Vivitrol with regard to how people viewed it and what they, um, you know, the, the perception of it. So, you know, when Anabuse came about, Anabuse was is a medication for anyone who doesn't know where you take the medication, and if you drink any alcohol at all, you get violently sick. You will mm-hmm. you will vomit. You'll be nauseous. You will get violently ill. And in fact, you might even get pretty violently ill if you just used cologne with alcohol right. in it. That's how sensitive mm-hmm. that is. Aftershave. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Side effects. Yeah. And so when it first came out, people said anabuse is a crutch. You know, you don't need anabuse. Anabuse is a crutch. You know, the short answer to the head is like if I break my leg, 
I want a crutch until I can walk on my own. <laughs> right. <laughs> True and statement right there. Yeah, yeah. That's the quick yeah. answer to that, you know. But <laughs> the, the more comprehensive answer to that is this. I'll, I'll use an example for me. So I would like to exercise more. I would really like to exercise every day. I need to develop some more strength. I really, you know, I want to do it. I just can't seem to get myself to do it. Now, somebody said to me, Denny, I'm going to give you a medication. And if you ever go 24 hours without exercising, it's going to make you violently ill. I'd mm-hmm. say, uh, yeah, no thanks. Uh, I'm not you know, ready for that. Yeah, true. I think the, pe- the people who are willing to take an abuse to stop drinking are profoundly committed to stopping drinking. They're not yeah. asking for help or a crutch or a- an easier way out. They're so committed, they're willing to say, I'm willing to take this. So that if I do pick up a drink, I know I'm going to get violently ill. And I actually think it's a pretty underused medication. And I think the people who are willing to take that are more committed to quitting that, than anybody. Oh, so you so you ultimately think it, I mean, I, I think I remember, and uh, if my mother's on the line, she could probably okay. uh, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I think my dad used to drink, used to take it, and I, he, I remember drank tried to drink through yeah it, I, there or, I have I have you know, a, a um, friend an alcoholic friend and he drank through but I it. think with everything else I mean that was it depends that was, on yeah that it was depends really on the person and where person, where yeah. you are yeah you know, with, with disease but you know I, I think all of these things are great ideas I really do and I, I hate the stigma now doctor do you accept all of these different uh, treatments at your door when people are asking for help? Are there some yes, that you kind of okay? Well, that, well, that's good to know. Can you can yes. you ultimately before can you ultimately before we go to break, um, let people know where you work, what you do there, and how somebody can get in touch with you if they need to, and then we'll go to break and pick it up on the other side. Okay, let's start that now. So, um, Recovery Centers of America, they can just call one eight hundred Recovery, and they'll get our call center. We answer calls twenty four seven. Um, if and just talk to a call center person who is there to see, you know, how they can help. If we can't help you, we'll look for somebody who can help you. Um, we do admissions 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and you can also go on the web at um, recoverycentersofamerica.com or 1-800-RECOVERY.COM as well. 1-800-RECOVERY.COM. If you have any questions for... Dr. Carice, or you want to share your experience, strength, and hope with Ellen, Denny, and I, you dial us 472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. And we will take your calls when Ellen and I return on the Miracles and Recovery radio show. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to miracles in recovery to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org now back to this week's show and welcome back to the final segment of this for this uh, version of the miracles in recovery show Happy to have everybody with us. If you're interested in asking a question or sharing your experience, strength, and hope, please dial 866-472-5792. And I guess we will continue on with our discussion of medication-assisted therapy. This has been very enlightening for me. Denny, thank you so much. Uh, Again, I have, um, I guess I have concerns about lifetime use of it. And the expense. One of the biggest things with Suboxone is how expensive it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, upwards of $500 a month if you don't have insurance. It's very expensive. That, that is quite expensive. Um, and there's, you know, hopefully there will be time in the not-too-distant future when that price will go down, when there's different generics um, you know, available and we can get that price down for folks because, you know, when you have a treatment that's effective, you want to be able to offer it to everybody, not just people who can afford to pay for it. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a considerable uh, expense for folks that don't have the insurance. Um, what's, one of the things I found very interesting was that early on there was a study done um, on Vivitrol, which people felt was also very expensive. And um, the company that that has Vivitrol, holds Vivitrol, they've done a lot with um, coupons and, 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 you know, enabling people to get it at a much lower price. But the insurance companies also do some studies. And when the Vivitrol, covering the Vivitrol is about $1,000 a month, 
um, what they found was that they saved so much more money in other health care expenses that it was actually less expensive to get people to Vivitrol. The estimate is that people who have a substance use disorder use about 11 times the amount of health care benefits as compared to folks who do not have um, a substance use disorder. And in fact, their non-addicted spouses use eight times as many health care benefits as those who don't are not married to somebody with a uh, substance use disorder. So, um, you know, I would hope that the insurance companies would really look at that. The, the days when the insurance company w- would say, well, we carve out the mental health and substance abuse benefits, so if you save, if you spend a lot of money mm-hmm. here, I don't get the savings over on the other side, um, so it's not worth it to me to pay for it. Those days are, are really kind of going away, and healthcare is, is much more one big um, you know, one big pie, and, and everybody's covered since the Affordable Care Act mandates those services as part of the essential benefits that health insurers have to have. What is the what is the common time frame for genetic, med, uh, like, you know, if, if Vivitrol stays on the market, is there a, a window that they're allowed that um, purchase power to say before it turns genetic? You know, I kept I, saying I'm not 100% sure. I believe it's seven years. Oh, well, then we should be getting close. Because that, that is that is one, I think that's one thing that's made Suboxone kind of a middle class or upper middle class solution is because you have to have insurance or you have to have money. I mean, there are coupons available, but they, they don't cover very much. And that, that was one of the things that I found kind of surprising that, you know, the, the government hasn't stepped in because this is a viable solution. One of the things that was interesting in my daughter's situation, she actually got taken to jail. She was on Suboxone doing well, got taken to jail. Um, The arresting officer came with a warrant and I said, okay, what about her Suboxone? And he said, well, you can bring it, but I don't know if they'll let her use it. Right. They didn't. They took it. They put it in with her inventory, but when she picked her things up, it was gone. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, we mentioned it. Uh, they, were, they, they didn't do anything about it. I don't know what happened to it, but somebody took it. Somebody knows what happened to it. Yeah, right. that, that is a shame. And there's a lot of states now that are um, mandating treatment of substance use disorders, including medications, um, for folks while they're in jail. And I, I can't wait till we see, a, uh, you know, a very large kind of sea change with that because right now it's isolated cases. But um, one of the most, uh, vul- there's two really vulnerable times for people to overdose and, and have a fatal overdose, actually. And the first one is when people go into treatment and they get detox only. They don't follow a detox treatment with anything like outpatient or residential or ongoing you know, recovery support. And the reason for that is that they, you know, they may be shooting, just as an expression, they may be shooting 10 bags of heroin a day. They go into detox for seven days. They clean their system out and they come out. The craving to use is really there. And they think, well, I was shooting 10 bags. I'll just shoot five. And they forget right. that when they first started, they, sh- they would shoot one, you know? Yeah. Um, the other group of folks that are at very high risk for fatal overdoses are people who come right out of jail or prison. Right. I, I have, I yeah. have, uh, my daughter's had several friends that, that lost their lives that way, and I think, I, I, I guess we're we're seeing things change. But to uh, 
to move away from that a little bit, I, I had another question for you, and I did this multiple times, but is there a reason that people shouldn't fly away somewhere for treatment? I sent my daughter literally all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the science all shows that what really works for folks, there's certain um, kind of essential ingredients for treatment. Um, one of the biggest essential ingredients is this continuity of care. So while it used to be kind of the thing to do to fly people away for treatment, what we realize now is that you fly somebody out to, say, California for a month for residential care, they, they're probably at one of the lowest points of their life. They fly out there. They, they, if they do well, if they stay all 30 days they, and they do well, they bond with their other eight or ten group members or the other people in the house they bond with a therapist. They, they're, it's gut-wrenching. They talk about all the stuff they've done that they're ashamed of. They work on those issues. And then they fly back to Iowa or wherever they live, and they have no support. They, are, they typically, if they went to a good place, they will have an appointment for an outpatient place. But they've got to go there. They've got to start all over again. They lose their whole support group. Um, you know, they, ha- they have to tell everybody who they are and how they got there again. And, it, and about 50% of people who make an appointment for outpatient don't show up. And the modal number of visits to outpatient care, meaning that the top number that people go, is one. So not the average, but the more than any other number, one visit is the modal number of treatment visits for an outpatient, which kind of also brings up the second uh, really, really essential ingredient, and that is therapeutic alliance, that the person really connects with somebody um, that they're, they're working with. And so one of the things I did with um, Recovery Centers of America is that we have detox, residential, outpatient, intensive outpatient all in one place, and we work to treat people in the neighborhood um, because this flyaway model really doesn't work unless you're going to fly away and need to stay away. So but see, the majority, the majority of those, drugs, the majority of those, you know, quote unquote flyaways, is only a ticket there. You know, and right. if you mess up, if you mess up when you're there, you become part of their homeless population. We we had, I'm not sure if it was Freddie or the rabbi or maybe Lisa who were on, who come from the West Coast. And they say that there is a lot of individuals who come out with the intention from Iowa, from Florida, from parts unknown. They come with the intention of getting clean. Something happens, they hit a bump on the road and they're part of the homeless population in San Diego. Because they can't get home. Well, I would well, say that San Diego is a better place to be homeless. But when my daughter was out there, they actually did um, put her in a halfway house after treatment. But um, mm-hmm. it was it was not run no. probably the way it right. should have been because she relapsed in the halfway house, and and yeah, then it was a back and forth, back and forth between the rehab and the halfway bank. You know, about four times, right. and ultimately unsuccessful. Yeah. Yeah. See, one of the things we did was we even we have some satellite outpatients as well. Depending upon where our patients come from, um, they they're all fairly local. But sometimes we'll have uh, satellite outpatients thirty miles away from the the treatment center, and they're even decorated the same. The, the chairs, which are very comfortable, the same chairs, the same some of the same art on the yeah. walls, and and then also they all have the same theoretical approach, this approach of whatever works for everybody, you know, we're going to offer all the different services you have. So you run the risk when you, you know, when somebody flies away, first of all, again, you have this break in their care, 
you had this time at the, the airport, which is not to be, you know, taken lightly. Oh. You, know, you put them on a plane. <laughs> You're exactly right. Planes in, in, in Chicago. Then they get out there, you know, on the way home, they're changing planes in Texas, you know, and, and those are all really vulnerable breakpoints. And um, so that's one of the issues. But the other issue is they may be at a place for residential that has one kind of theoretical basis and, and maybe feels, you know, maybe, maybe starts the person on Vivitrol, and they come home and they go into an outpatient, and the outpatient says, we don't do Vivitrol here. We're an abstinence-oriented uh, right. treatment program. And so it, it creates a lot of confusion and a lot of distress. That is so true. And speaking of the opioid epidemic in general, how bad is it? I mean, it, is it um, is it winding down or is it really just beginning? Do we need different treatments? You know, we've got all these different variations of very, very strong, very deadly opioids now with uh, fentanyl and carfentanyl. Yeah, I mean, we hear every day in the papers about the opioid epidemic and you know, there were over 70,000 drug overdose deaths last year. Almost 50,000 of them were from opioids. Um, you know, there's a there, there's some things to be okay about, you know, in terms of this getting a little better. Um, we now have the physician drug monitoring programs. They allow us to see, for example, the folks who are getting an opioid prescription from six different doctors getting monthly prescriptions. We now can but, see that. But are they, are they still voluntary? Because I know the one here is. What's that? Is what's the, 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 the reporting system for? for, the, for but there are really, um, there's much more and more pressure for docs to look on that monitoring program before they prescribe. And if they prescribe a month's worth of opioids when another doctor prescribed it and it's on the record two days ago, they could really pay a high price for having done that. So, um, but that, that is one of the things that has really helped. And now it's, there's a lot of interoperability with that between states. That used to be another problem. I'm in Philadelphia. We're 20 minutes from New Jersey, an hour from New York, you know, uh, 10 minutes from Delaware here, you know, and you could go to different states. Now the states, they, all, they really talk to each other. Um, there's more education of physicians and medical students. Not enough, but there's more. Um, and there's more funding for um, medications than there used to be and more uh, kind of slots open for people that want to get those. But, you know, we've created whole communities and really generations of families who become accustomed to reaching for prescription opioids for any type of pain or just for pleasure. Um, you know, West Virginia, Ohio, New Hampshire, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, they have the highest death rates. And there are whole communities where there are generations of people that have been really decimated by this. And that's a very entrenched system to get out of. So um, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, the other thing that has really impacted this is the availability of a much higher purity of, of heroin. Our heroin used to come from Colombia um, and now we get 90% of our heroin from Mexico. It's less expensive and it's much more pure. So that's mm-hmm. that and the development of synthetic opioids, the fentanyl, the car fentanyls, um, makes us a problem that's not going away quickly. Doc, why don't you um, give the audience how people can reach out to you again, if you have a website, if you have Facebook, if you have a, you know, just so people can, well, we're winding down and I want to make sure that we put that mm-hmm. out there again. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we're Recovery Centers of America. Um, We have 1-800-RECOVERY is our 1-800 line. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Someone will answer the phone, typically in six seconds or less. Um, We also have different websites. We're on Facebook, um, recoverycentersofamerica.com, 
Recovery.com. You'll find lots of information um, about different uh, different types of treatment, different ways you can get treatment. When you call our call center, if if you don't um, you know fit in one of our treatment centers, if we're not the best fit for you, we'll help you find another place that is a good fit for you. Um, but we do offer the full continuum of care from residential detox outpatient. We offer um, medication assisted therapies um, in our residential as well as in separate uh, opioid treatment programs as well. You know, the greatest statement that you said was, is if we can't help you, we'll find someone who can. A lot of programs okay. just turn a lot of programs just turn people away because they don't have the proper insurance or so, you know, you know, if you're doing research, reach out to Dr. Carice's team at Recovery Centers of America, because she just made the statement. If we can't help you, we'll find somebody who can. And I think that is the that, that is the caring um, way to be. Thank you very much again for being on the show. Yes, thank Dr. you very D, much. Giving us another hour of your knowledge. I mean, uh, we could we could go on again for another hour. I mean, it's just this. Well, it's not going away, and the yeah. more the more we get it out on the airwaves, and the more we the more options we give people when they're facing this reality, the better off they'll be. And, and, you know, they're not hearing it on the TV. They're hearing that they're hearing the other side of it. They're hearing the bad side of it. They're not hearing the recovery side of it. And gratefully you were on for an hour speaking about the recovery side of it. I mean, we spoke about a couple other things as well, but thank you very much for, for giving us an hour of your time again. And hopefully we will reach out to you. Go ahead. Just one quick thing. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery as well, so I just need people to know out there that there's hope that anybody can get well um, and that people go on to do great things in recovery, however they define that. And with that... With miracles in recovery, hope is in your corner. It is. Stay blessed. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.